0: Um, well, hey, so I'm really glad to be with you guys. This is my 10th year doing RUF overall. I now mean, I was thinking about, I lo- I, so I love RUF. I still do RUF. But I was thinking about conferences like this are part of why I love RUF. And I was thinking about why do I love RUF so much. And you know, sometimes people say um, a friend is someone who can handle your awkward. <laughs> I think people say that. I just said that. Let's just go with that. That's very up for me. And what I mean by that is, RUF is a place where I've really been—I've uh, been loved. Like people really, have in my life in RUF, fellow campus ministers, some of which who are here, uh, um, area coordinators, even interns, have just seen me at my worst, and yet loved me at their best. And it's not like we talk about the gospel a lot. But for me, REF really has been a place where, like, I really, like, I, I knew the gospel, I said the gospel, but I really got to experience it. And I hope that's been something, I hope that's part of why you're here. Like, I hope you've had some kind of experience with that. I know that you have, if you're a part of a, part of REF. So, thanks so much for having me. And let me say, what I want to do tonight is pretty simple. I just want to set us up for where I want to go this weekend. And we are going to talk about this theme of awkwardness, but I mean by that something really specific. Like, when I say that word, I don't just mean funny, awkward, Scary, awkward. When I think about awkwardness, and when you begin to think about awkwardness actually theologically, I think it's an interesting idea. Because I think what happens in those moments of awkwardness that we're both drawn to and that we're afraid of, what's happening is there's this gap that's being exposed between what we think we should be and what we actually are. And I think awkwardness is that gap. Anytime there's this slip, anytime there's this crack between who you think you should be or who you want to be, or who you're pretending to be, and who you actually are, there's this awkward moment. And what I want to do is sort of unpack why I think this is so important, and I'm going to actually do it and, and sort of apply it in three specific areas, from which, uh, all of which are parts of my own story as God has worked out um, my own uh, walk with him. Uh, but the reason I think this is so important is this. So a year ago, about this time, I'm grabbing a uh, coffee with a student, and he's one of my most involved students. And we're talking about, uh, he, he, it's one of those meetings where he's like, Sammy, can we meet? I really want to talk about something serious. And I'm thinking, okay, I know which direction this is probably going, but let's roll with it. So we sit down and he tells me this heartbreaking story of basically what he would simply describe as porn addiction. That all of his life that he was one of those kids who his parents never talked about sex. And his church that he grew up in never talked about anything related to sex for less. In fact, the sad part to me is it's one of these churches that like, like we read the books of the pastors, we listen to the podcasts, and yet it was a culture in which sex, especially porn, was just not talked about. And as he's sort of telling me his story, part of the story is he kind of was exposed, you know, to the family computer and just really stumbled at it by accident in middle school, but was really intrigued, and a lot of us know how this goes, and it really became this go-to thing for him that he just could not break. But what he said that broke my heart was simply this. He said, because no one ever talked about sex, because no one ever talked about porn, I thought what I was doing must be the, the worst thing in the world. And I was terrified, terrified, terrified to tell anybody. And really, like I was one of the, I think I was the first person he ever really told. And this is what I think. Why is it that one of the saddest realities of life is that the things that we need to talk about the most we tend to talk about the least. And I think the reason is because it's awkward. I think the reason is because we're terrified of the awkwardness of what's going to happen. So what we're doing is we're going to talk about that specifically tonight. And I really want to call this just the shame behind awkwardness. But then the the next three talks we're going to talk about, um, tomorrow morning we're going to talk about depression and anxiety, which has been a big part of my story. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about assembly we're going to call sexual brokenness, which is another big part of my story. And then Sunday morning we're going to talk about parents, which is then another big part of my own story. Part of why I'm going biographical is I'm simply trying to share what, what Jesus has, has taught me uh, as he's worked in me over the years. But I am going on two assumptions as we sort of set up tonight. Here are the two assumptions I'm working with. Number one, everyone is awkward. Like, part of me knows that because you're, you're at RF conference, so I kind of like know you're my people. But but part of me is saying because awkwardness as I'm defining it is that gap between what you should be and what you actually are. That who of us can stand and say, oh yeah, yeah, like I'm exactly the way that I should be. I don't fall short at all of the glory of God. I don't, I, I match up 100% to what it means to love God and love my neighbor as myself. There's a sense in which we are all awkward. But the second thing, the reason I'm doing anxiety and depression, sexual brokenness and parents this weekend, is I believe that either you yourself experience particular brokenness that has been awkward to talk about in your own story, or if you haven't, you will. And even if you haven't or won't, you have people in your life, friends, loved ones, family that, that have. And so that's kind of where we're going this weekend. And here's my prayer. My prayer is simply this. That because God loves us, not where we've been pretending to be, And he meets us not where we've been pretending to be, but he actually loves us and meets us where we are. My prayer is that, like, as we do this together, that we'll begin to meet and love each other not where we've been pretending to be, but where we actually are. And so there really is, you know, whatever you think about small, like, small groups are my nightmare. Fellow introverts, I get, like, you're already sweating, especially if you're leading a small group. I feel you so much right now. Hawking can be hard. But these small groups really do have potential, I think. Like, all I'm really trying to do is start a discussion about the parts of your own story that have been awkward or hard to talk about. Uh, I'm, I'm a youth group kid, and I grew up, like, I was the youth group of youth. If Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees, I was the youth group kid of youth group kids. So I did a lot of conferences kind of like this, but with way less pool. And so, but I remember, like, I always hated it when the guy would get up there and do that thing, if you're a youth group kid probably heard this, where he would do that thing where he would say, you know, boys are blue, girls are pink, don't make purple, oh not like, Part of it was like, you sure? And then, no. But the reality is, here's my thing, it's, here's my hope for this weekend, yeah, I can say it like this, and this is what I'm going to say over and over again. Because vulnerability, which we're going to talk about a lot tonight, vulnerability is hard. But because grace is true, we can make some awkward. We can begin to get into the awkward parts of one another's stories as we begin to believe that Jesus actually meets us here. All right, that's where we're going this weekend. Now, what I want to do tonight is actually turn in the Bible and look at what I think is the, most, the first awkward moment in all of human history. So if you have a Bible or if you have a phone, You can turn with me to Genesis 3, and we're going to look at what I want to simply call the silver lining of awkwardness. So Genesis 3, I'm going to read verses 6 to 13, and then skip down to verse 20. Also, I'm feeling a little guilt about that fuchsia thing, one, because it didn't land very well, and also, I didn't mean that inappropriately. Um, So I promise you awkwardness, and here we go. Genesis three, I'm reading six to thirteen the verse twenty let's read guys where I'm reading from the ESV. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired tired, tired to, make, to make to make one, one wise, she it drink, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate, Adam. At then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This was a sound that previous to this, previous to sin, was a sweet sound, a comforting sound. Now it becomes scary. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And just skip down to verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And then 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. Let me pray for us, and I want to get into what I want to talk about tonight. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you that you are a God who does not remain hidden, that you are a God who loves to reveal yourself to us, and that's why you've given us your word. Lord, I pray that as we look at uh, this story, as we look at this, this passage, that you would be pleased to show us beautiful things, wonderful things about yourself, Lord, we do pray that we would see Jesus. And, Lord, we pray that you would, as at the same time, do deep, deep work, do deep, deep things in us. Lord, you alone can do both. You alone can can meet us where we are and meet us there with a grace that absolutely transforms and um, undoes us in the best of ways. And, Lord, I, I pray for that for myself as I get to preach this weekend. I pray for that for my friends uh, who are here with me. We pray these things. In Christ's name, amen. So when you think about, like, if we were to define our relationship with awkwardness, like, if our awkward, if our relationship with awkwardness were to go Facebook official, I think it would, it would be that it's, it's complicated. Because on the one hand, if you think about it, we are drawn to it. So think about the shows. I don't know if you're a, a Netflix uh, person, net, uh, but I am an avid endorsement, which means I love to crush the Netflix and I have my comedies that I like, but a lot of the comedies that I'm drawn to over the years are comedies that are all about awkwardness. So think about whether it's the British office, American office, whether it's Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, whether it's Parks and Rec, Modern Family, uh, Veep, like whatever show it is that's your show, there's so many, especially comedies, that are all about these awkward characters who are in these awkward situations, and we love, for some reason we can't stop watching. We love to watch it. And yet, and the other side, we are, I am, and you are terrified of it. Like, the reason I know this is, like, even as I'm being introduced, this is going to be awkward this weekend. Like, I want to go be in that corner, huddled in shame, because I, I want you to think I, I'm a cool... Like, I don't want you to look at me and think, awkward. I want you to look at me and think, love him. I want you to look at me and think, cool, funny, or, like, any word but awkward. And yet, that's the word that seems to be used the most by a lot of people that know me, my wife included, this came up to me, where we were playing over the last year or so, we've gotten into apples to apples, which is a weird thing to say. I guess I'm going to start saying, what are your hobbies? Apples, occasional apples to apples? And then one of the things that's happened, happened twice, two times. She got the green card for awkward, and she laughingly said to our friends, I just wish Tammy's face was done this. Ha, 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 ha. And everyone was like, ha, 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 ha. And I was like, smiling but crying inside. So on the one hand, we're, we're drawn to it. And yeah, on the other hand, we're, we're deeply, deeply afraid of it. And the reason that that I love this passage is it really truly is the first awkward moment in all of human history, but not in really not in a funny way. In this really heartbreaking way, between Adam and Eve and God. And what I want to do is simply unpack really two things as we think about this idea, our theme for the weekend, awkwardness. I really just want to say two things, unpack two things from this passage about it that I think are really, really important, that not only set us up for this weekend, but I think are just important to us as human beings. Here's the first one. Awkwardness is simply an invitation to vulnerability. Awkwardness is an invitation to be vulnerable, to be real to show yourself as you really are, not as you've been pretending to be. So it's, it's interesting to watch Adam and Eve respond to their sin here because they really have two different responses to their sin when you think about it. And when you look at this passage and we work through it, they have these, these two different responses that I simply want to call, on the one hand, pride, and the other hand, shame. Because when you peel back the layers of awkwardness, the reason that we're afraid of vulnerability is both of these things. So think for a second, how did they respond in pride to their sin? Look at it with me. They kind of did two things. The one hand that they, the one hand that they, the first thing that they did was they blamed each other. Like you saw that at the end. God comes and confronts them in love. And Adam says, she did it. And Eve says, the serpent did it. And there's a sense in which their pride, their newly found pride would not let them say, I did it. I did this. This is where I love, I don't know if you've ever read Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis makes this genius point where when he's looking at Satan, and he's thinking about Satan's fall. He has this great line where he says, the devil did not become the devil through lust. The devil became the devil through pride. There was a sense in which he could not, he would not own his sin. And this is exactly what Adam and Eve do. And, and, and they not only blame each other, but you have this other sense. Like one of the questions I have for Adam and Eve is they're, they have freshly sinned. What kept them from simply going to God in confession? And saying, God, We we disobeyed you. We really messed this thing up. What do we do about it? And instead you get the sense that their plan was not only not only did they blame each other, but pride in their in their pride they thought, I can't I've got this. We've got this. We're gonna handle this ourselves. You know, it's funny I was listening to you, one of my favorite preachers, and he was saying how, as Americans, that those are some of our inner, like, one of our inner, some of our inner messages that we all live with is, you have to look like you have it together, and you have to look like you're somebody who can take care of your stuff. And there's a real sense in which, that's what the Bible simply calls pride. And it only alienates and isolates us, not just from each other, but from God himself. So that's the first response, but then the second response is like, it's almost like the flip side of pride is shame. Shame is the idea of, you know, so what is shame? Shame is is how I like to define it. Shame is simply this. It's the subjective experience of your guilt, of your objective guilt. So it's clear. They have, have objectively disobeyed God. They did the one thing that God asked them not to do. They did it. They ate of the tree. They knew they disobeyed him. But shame is the moment where you move from the guilt of what you've done to the guilt of who you now are and who you feel yourself to be. In other words, it's moving from the guilt of what you've done to it's subjectively experiencing in your bones the shame of being something that you shouldn't be. And it's this, it's this pervasive thing that does something really interesting in this passage because what, what happens, you see it, they suddenly realize their nakedness. They feel absolutely naked and it's a bad thing. They, they move from being naked and unashamed to naked and absolutely ashamed of who they are. And so you see it in the passage, so they, they feel it so much. That they try to do two things: they cover themselves with fig leaves, and then they hide behind the trees. They cover themselves; they don't let any—they don't want anyone to see them, and then they hide from God. Um, I love when, when Brene Brown's one of my favorite authors, and she talks about shame. She says shame needs three things to survive: secret, secrecy, silence, and judgment. And so, just picture for picture your. Just for a moment, Adam Eve—they're—they've they're, sewed, I mean, I don't even know how you sow something out of leaves, and they feel disgusting about themselves, and they're hiding behind their, the tree, and then all of a sudden they hear the sound of God walking, and it's not a good thing. They're—they are terrified, and this is the second thing, that, and really the most important thing that I want you to see about awkwardness. If awkwardness is this invitation to vulnerability, the second thing I want you to see is vulnerability is actually the place where we meet God and one another. Vulnerability is the place where we actually meet Jesus and meet one another. What I love about this passage is here God comes and he's He's looking for them. And he asks that, maybe my favorite question in all of the Bible, where are you? It's not like he doesn't know where they are, right? Like God, we know enough about God, Sunday school, uh, amount of knowledge about God, God is omniscient, he knows all things, he knows where they are. Why does he ask the question? He asks the question. It's a heart-searching question to get them the wheels turning. Where are we? What have we done? Why have we done it? But the better thing that I love is that instead of coming and, and, and really pulling them from behind the trees and nailing them to the trees, instead of just grabbing them and shaming them and scolding them and saying, how in the world could you have done this? How could you have disobeyed me like this? How could you do this to me? What I love about God is he does not instead of shaming them, he covers their shame. What if you, if you follow the passage, he does this beautiful thing. He, he makes garments. That's where I read verse 21. And it's the first place in the Bible, how, where do the garments come from? We, we, we think, we're pretty positive that the garments came from most likely the death, the sacrificial death of these animals that got killed and then stripped of the garments. And then he made them for Adam and Eve. And in this beautiful moment, he's, he uncovers, he undresses them from the fig leaves. And then he covers them with these fresh garments that he himself has made and it's the first place this is one of the first places in scripture where we get just a just a little bit of a sense that the way forgiveness is going to come for for us is through the sacrificial death of another and you and i know that it's jesus and when you think about the cross it's this beautiful thing where jesus literally is stripped like if you follow the gospels and how he goes to the cross there's you know, the gospel writers make a big emphasis that he is stripped of his clothes. He is stripped naked nailed to a cross. And there's this real sense for you and for me that Jesus is stripped that we might be covered. That on the cross he takes, he takes what our pride deserves and he takes the shame of our sins and he takes it to himself. And he is stripped naked and ashamed that you and I might be covered and no longer ashamed because we, for those of us who belong to him, are in him and we are loved and covered. By his righteousness. But I love this idea that why can we begin to be vulnerable with God? Here's why because he was first vulnerable for us. There's a real sense in which he first loved us while we were yet sinners. Therefore, we know we can come to him with anything, anything and everything. There's nothing about us that he doesn't know. There's no sin in us that he hasn't seen. He knows everything about us and he moves toward us in absolute sacrificial love. So, uh, four kids, not three. And because I have four kids, I've gotten really into, uh, kids' movies. And so one of the movies that I've gotten super into, and I was, honestly, if I can just own it, I was into it before my kids, but now my kids are a great excuse to watch it. And you know, like, I keep telling my wife, if she keeps letting me watch the kids, we're gonna like work our way through the entire Netflix history because dad doesn't know what else to do with them. So we watch a lot of Netflix. And one of my favorite things to, to watch with them is the movie Babe. I've never seen the movie Babe. It is a must when you get home Monday or Sunday. Just, I don't, I don't know if it's on Netflix, but it's worth buying. So, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you the story of, of Babe. Uh, there's a scene, my favorite scene in Babe is when, so if you know the story at all, it's a, it's a little pig who, um, you know, a far, farmer hoggett is looking, his sheepdog is out of commission. He always takes his sheepdogs to win the, the county fair ribbon. And here's this little pig, Babe, who begins learning how to be a sheepdog, and he becomes this great sheepdog for a pig. And to the point where Farmer Hoggett loves little Babe and he takes him to the county fair and, spoiler alert, he wins the Blue Ribbon. And yet there's a scene where, as this is happening, Babe, he, you know, one of the other animals, Duck, I think, tells Babe, Hey, listen, you think Farmer Hoggett loves you. The reality for you, though, when it comes time for Thanksgiving, you're just going to be bacon. Like, you were just, like, it doesn't matter what you do, you were just going to be, you know, they're going to feast on you. And so Babe has this really existential crisis, and uh, he he runs away. I'm really kind of giving you the whole plot, but it's okay. He runs away. If you know the movie, and he you know he runs away to the point where he gets lost, and it's this big storm, and he almost dies, and they go looking for him, and Farmer, Farmer Hoggett finds him, and he brings him back, and then begins the weirdness, because then Babe is still really depressed, he's on the verge of death, and Farmer Hoggett starts doing this weird thing where he starts nursing Babe. Like he's holding them, nursing them like a baby, and then he starts singing over Babe, like singing these songs, and then he does the weirdest thing where he starts doing this Irish jig for Babe, and like to the point where all the other farm animals are crowded around the window and they're like, like, okay, here's the question: what kind what kind of a farmer sings over a pig? And every time I watch, and like kids you watch this, and I'm like, we, I'm like weeping. Because what kind of a God seems over sinners? What kind of a God sees Adam and Eve with whatever they're wearing, hiding from him, and instead of shaming them, instead undresses and covers them because He knows, he knows what his love for them is going to mean? And friends, that's, this is what frees you and I to be vulnerable. To be real about where we really are. Not where we think we should be. Not where our parents think we should be. Not where our church thinks we should be. Not where our friends think we should be. Not where we ourselves think we should be. Not where we've been pretending to be. But be real and honest and truthful about where we really are. What we really are struggling with. What we really are dealing with. The parts of our stories that we do not want to be put up on the screen tonight. And that's exactly what I want to enter into this weekend, but I want to enter into it with joy because we have a God who sings over sinners. We have a God who does not shame us out of our sins. He begins to love us out of our sins. Uh, So what do we do with it? And here's my big point is that you actually became a Christian, and I'll close with this. You actually became a Christian through, if you think about it, through being vulnerable. Through saying, like, I can't do this. I don't have it all together. I, I, Lord I need you to save me I need you to forgive me but here's the thing that I think we miss and this is my big application this is, I mean, this is my application tonight is I think sometimes we think that's how we become a Christian but we miss that the way to growth the way to the deeper deeper Christian life whatever that means the way to the way to become more like Christ the way that the Christian life is lived is through more and more and deeper and deeper vulnerability both with Jesus and each other and if I know my own heart well enough, I know that I'm terrified of that, and yet I know that I long for that. And I think the same is true about you. I think the same is true that you are terrified of that, and yet you long to be able to tell you long to be able to tell your friends even here tonight something that is that has been pressing on you that you feel you've been so afraid to say. I close with this. So, my youngest uh, daughter, her name is Sadie, she's four now, but when she was three, like she had just. So she's got siblings who are much older, all of which have become. You know, we do this thing together where we play hide and seek, uh, and my kid, my older kids have like gotten to the point where it's not fun to play hide and seek with them anymore because they actually hide in places where I can't find them and then scare the mess out of me, and it's like this isn't fun, you guys. But Sadie, she's still three, uh, she was last year, and she she would she would do this thing where she would always go, she would go up to her room and she would go into the closet, and then as soon as she got into the closet she would loudly start saying, in here. I'm in here. Dad, I'm in here. I'm in here. And I'd be like, Sadie, we need to teach you how to play hide and seek. This is... But when I think about it, this is what I think about. She liked to hide, but she wanted to be found. And I think the same thing is true of you. Where are you hiding? And yet, don't you long to be found. And my prayer is starting tonight that we can we can enter, go with Jesus in His work of finding people, finding us in the places that we're hiding and bringing us out in love, and saying there's no need to there's no need, no need to be afraid because you've never known a God who loves sinners and yet I'm that God. So let's pray. Please, we ask that you would um, begin to enter into this dialogue with us. Lord, um, there's so many different ways that we might be feeling. Um, and yet, Lord, we know we thank you that you know us and you love us and you know exactly what we need this weekend. We thank you that you've invited us here. We thank you that you've um, put us with who you've put us with. And, Lord, I do pray even as we think toward small groups later tonight that you would you would be the one who gives us real meaningful conversations in ways that really do begin to change us. Lord, we know we don't change overnight, and yet, Lord, we know that you are patient with us, you are faithful to us, and Lord, I I pray that you would begin to remind us of that in powerful ways even tonight. Help us to trust you uh, with those places that are hard tonight, with these things for Christ in your name. Amen.